Hello, everybody, and welcome to the newest episode of Circuit 42. I am your host, Ian, and I'm here with my fellow host, Sandra. She has all sorts Hello. of awesome things in a jetpack. Oh, yeah, and a, and a TikTok, too. And Michael, he has a murder sword. Yeah, and I'm way too old for a TikTok now, so. Too many apps. The kids are getting crazy. All right. So before we start the show, Apps, we're gonna be, yeah. um, I so I actually discovered a clip from um, there's I guess an alternate clip that's going to be on Ant Man on Disney Plus, Blu-ray, DVD, etc. Now this is an alternate opening, and I'm not sure how this got leaked, but it did, and I can't show it obviously because we're on a podcast, but I'm gonna let my co-host see it and give a reaction to it. Hey, right. ooh. It's my first reaction. All right. Thing. Here we go. Oh, God. I should have fucking known. Oh, jeez, Mac and me. Look Mac and me. So- <laughs> ah! Looks CG ish. So, uh, you can tell you, there's it's a dummy. What do you think? I oh, think no. I'm glad. I, think I remember who's in back and me. <laughs> I'm glad that you got this out of your system. <laughs> explain, Michael. Explain to the listener. Explain to the listeners the significance of what I just showed. Um, well, uh, I think you basically, who, who, who pulled the same thing? I think, I think it might've been like Conan, Conan might've pulled the same thing. Um, Conan Paul, or Rudd. Paul Rudd. Yeah. Paul Rudd. Um, it, for this little clip of, of Mac and me where this poor, poor little boy per- pulls a, uh, ultimate Charles Xavier and gets, you know, yeeted <laughs> off of a cliff. And yeah, terrible little uh, dummy flailing in the wind, and that that weird little totally not ET ripoff just does this uh, unpleasant, you know. We should have watched Pod People. Yeah. So So for those, Sandra, what about what about you? What do you know about the context of this clip from Mac and Me, and why I showed it? Well, it's a very infamous. bad movie that has a very famous actor in it and there was a little boy whose uh, wheelchair got stuck and oh no he's falling really fall really fast down a hill went off a cliff and you can tell it's a dummy and there's like this weird it it should it looks and there's an alien pop out but it looks it looks kind of CG but it's not CG because it's it's the it stone is. age of it's, it's the eighties. Do a lot of coke for run. Vote for Ronald Reagan. Eighties. I know. So it is. It is bad. But knowing that, knowing that it's like the eighties, it's like charming in a way. It's and it's also entertaining. It's Easily. kind of you to call Eric famous, being that he was in um, one movie. An episode of something called Kids Incorporated, and and oh, Kids Incorporated! I remember Kids Incorporated. So, for context for for everybody, uh, whenever Paul Rudd comes on Conan O'Brien, 
uh-huh. he will always promise to bring a snippet or a clip from his recent, most recent movie. And that clip is the same scene that we've shown today from Mac. Uh-huh. And he has been doing this for for approximately 20 years. 20 years. So this is, oh, this is, huh? this is like post clueless somewhere, like almost to the end of friends. Yes. He hasn't done this for a while. And then on Conan O'Brien's podcast, he basically introduced a podcast series that he's going to be doing an audio drama. And he laid it out. He gave a cast. He gave a concept. He made it sound really cool. And then he says, oh, yeah, I brought a clip from the podcast. And then it's literally just a clip from Maccabee. And he says, so is this podcast real? Nope, I just made it all up. So he laid out God this entire man. podcast and concept just so he could show the clip of the kid from on the wheelchair from Maccabee. So he could bring it back because he hadn't done it in a couple of years. So it's like Paul Wright is that one guy who wants to say, I want to show you this one YouTube clip I want to show you. Or this one movie I really like. Paul Rudd is just me on the podcast half the time. I think that's you. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, come on, guys, it's only something serious. It's like, oh, this is just stupid. Yes, it is. Come on, let's 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 hear what the preppy guy from Clueless has to say. Yay, preppy guy from Clueless. Woo! All right, now that we the preppy guy from Clueless is over. Uh, we are going to be talking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase 4, a phase of Marvel much maligned by assholes on YouTube. Now that I've, now that I've separated half the, half the listening audience away from the podcast... And you just... Yeah, it's good to like filter that out. Yeah, yeah, it is. You gotta sift the, sift the, 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 ba- the bad audience like it's, a, like, like it's flour. You got a big sift and just the douche falling through it. Hey, there we go. But, um... I put in a cake. (laughs) Big cake full of super hilly, shiny goodness. Speaking of things that aren't super hilly, shiny goodness, this will unfortunately include Thor Love and Thunder. One of the few times that both all sides of the internet can actually get along in the hatred of a terrible movie and wonder how the new Ant-Man somehow got worse reviews. I don't know. I think there's certain moments that are nice, but, you know... Well, those are the moments where I just live rent-free in my head. Sure. Um, <laughs> so, moving into those moments, we are going to start with a movie that we actually reviewed initially on the initially on the podcast. That was Black Widow. Um, I've rewatched Black Widow more than once in the recent years, especially with them introducing uh, Yelena. Um, the Black Widow played by Florence Pugh into Hawkeye and other other parts of the MCU. This is a movie Uh that as I've watched it more and more, I actually like this movie more and more. I thought it was okay when I first saw it. And honestly, it's not a five-star movie, but I would probably give it at least somewhere between three and a half to four stars. Or originally, I think I give it like a two. I think the strongest, strongest thing is the relationships. And it kind of peters out. And I think the whole movie peters out at the last act which compared to the, some movies is really not that bad i like i like the tone of it i like the fact that we have action that while there are some scenes that are completely out of reality there are certain uh-huh. action scenes and certain especially the opening that has kind of a darkness that we haven't seen from any of the marvel before or since um 
Because I think my initial issue with the movie was that it didn't maintain that tone. Like, it very quickly took us from this dark, brutal movie into more of a traditional MCU movie, if that makes sense. Yeah. What do you guys think? Especially looking back at it. So, I, uh, I like this movie a lot. I, I'm pretty much, um, you know, where you are with it, Ian. Uh, as, as I watch it more and more i did do a rewatch of pretty much all the phase four movies over the past weekend and uh black widow is something that i really saw when it came out as more of like a tribute movie i think um and this is just kind of touching on like the whole of phase four i think a lot of the backlash that was directed at this phase of marvel's cinematic entry is that when you had the first Marvel movies that came out when you had like Iron Man, you had Captain America. I think mm-hmm. what people came to expect was the, the, the building towards something. And you got that with the first Iron Man when you had that Nick Fury stinger where he says, you know, I'm here to talk to you about the uh, Avenger initiative. So I think a lot of the, the backlash and uh, I heard this over and over again because I'm, a dumbass, and I go into comment sections. So I'll see the comments over and over again no. um, talking about, like, you know, no, where... don't go look at the comment section. You don't yeah, like what like, you find. That tends to be, like, one of the more common criticisms that people have of Phase 4 is, like, they're they're kind of wondering, like, you know, where it's going. They're trying to get a sense of, you know, um, what is the thing that they're trying to set up. So for a, a big chunk of phase four, they didn't really have that that direction. And I think what really led to some of the, you know, like like Ian was saying, some of the misaligning of these uh, these movies, especially Black Widow, is it was actually kind of going back instead of going forward and, and setting things up. It did give us, you know, hints of things to come and it gave us um, a new uh, Black Widow in Yelena. Uh, who was uh, really just uh, really good, uh, fabulously played by uh, Florence Pugh. So she's a, a really good addition to the MCU. Um, the the whole the the sister dynamic that that uh, that Sandra started to touch on really worked for me. Um, the only thing that I kind of would say that I would like legitimately take away from this movie is um and i think this is something that kind of hurts you know the the marvel universe uh as a whole is especially as you start to see like these movies uh start to develop you start to see uh these heroes start to get built up where we're seeing all of these fucking hidden like secret societies of of bad guys <laughs> like we're starting to see it like in in shang chi uh, we start to see it like more and more, especially like in the in the in the shows that are coming out. Um, but we don't really have a whole lot of the uh, like we don't have the shield anymore. So we don't have a whole lot of like oh. minion heroes. So I think that's something that kind of attributed to people like not thinking that um, uh, Taskmaster was as menacing as they could have been because the, they didn't get a chance to like tear through a whole bunch of. Uh, minion heroes and really all of the we need more minion heroes this movie. yeah we needed like a shield or we need like a sword or we need we need like a colson yeah we need we yes. need a bunch of nameless you know uh agents to get to like you know torn up by these you know these bad guys to, to build them up 
or you know, especially if you're not going to give a, a you know a, a significant kill to one of the main heroes or one of the main villains rather well the funny thing is we actually do have a colson in a way um, oh yeah yeah it does look like a colson yeah we have asian jim oh i don't think i was thinking more like uh ross agent ross from Wak- See, from wakanda oh that's true i was actually thinking i was honestly thinking jimmy woo I wish he would show up in more things, honestly. Like oh. I think I think I think I think the MC would have benefited with more more Jimmy Woo because he is an integral part of like the SHIELD lore in the comics. Yeah. And yeah. since he's and sit and also give Randall Park some more work, he could be like he could be the Colson, the new Colson. Yeah, he made that special guest appearance. Um, I even though he got shredded in Multiverse of Madness, I thought he did a great job as Reed Richards. I don't know if this counts. As, ah, I don't know if this counts. As, uh, as, I don't know if this counts as a spoiler or not, because it is a very brief appearance. But he actually does show up in Ant Man: The Wasp: Quantumania. Well, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's in there for a bit. Oh, I mean, um, let's let's be honest. Not everyone is going to be like a Peter Parker where you have different actors. Playing like the same character, although that'd be cool. That'd be cool. Oh, speaking of speaking of which, um, for to establish. So while we did review Black Widow previously on the show, since we're but we're just touching on it here, in terms of the MCU series on Disney Plus, um, that we did review like WandaVision, Falcon, the Winter Soldier, Loki, and What If. Uh, for the purpose of time, we won't be discussing those on this podcast. So we're just focusing strictly on. Films. We're focusing on films and we're focusing on the shows that we didn't previously touch on on the podcast itself. The films, we're doing the films as a whole, but in terms of the shows, we're specifically going to be doing Hawkeye, Moon Knight, Miss Marvel, and She-Hulk. Yeah. Like when you think about it, Phase 4 probably had okay, like- the most content of of any of the phases. I mean, it's got so many, it's got seven movies. Um, how many shows that it had? I want to say at least like five. A lot. A I can see special why he is kind of pulling back a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and that's, yeah, that's and I see why thing. there's like this. There's this uh, what they call the uh, Marvel fatigue. Yeah, and and honestly, I'm not really feeling the fatigue. Me neither. Um, what what I, I do? I do. I kind of I kind of do. That's fair. Yeah. That's totally fair. What I think, though, but also kind of like hurts it. And this has been something that's also been touched upon um, in, in several articles. And, and usually I think it even came out after Quantum Mania is um, a lot of the visual effects companies are experiencing a lot of crunch for oh, the, yeah. all of the Marvel projects that are coming out. And, you know, a lot of them are talking about um you know poor poor conditions and a lot of you know getting work too hard and you know the crazy deadlines and um I, I feel like it comes up to a point in some of these movies um in the, in the phase four uh where you get a sense of okay here's the stuff or here's a movie where you can see the crunch and you can feel the crunch and in i think really as, as I started to watch like all the phase four stuff over this past weekend, I, I started to feel like, okay, you can feel it in, in a couple of the movies. I can in, feel in it in uh, love and yeah. thunder. 
yeah, see the straits. Oh, we're going to because... be talking about that because there is some controversy. Uh, yeah. uh, some stuff that Tekuatiti said. And I think it really comes down to like what movie or what show, like where does it feel the most like, hey, this is this is like a soundstage <laughs> versus like feeling like the world is like open and the characters are out and in it because I didn't feel that way at all with you know some of the the highlights of phase four say like uh like uh like no way home you don't really feel that at all you don't really feel that at all with uh with shang chi either because these are movies that you know travel all all over the place the the characters interacting with these these huge even when it is a set it's like a, a massive set and it doesn't feel so restricted so kind of like what sandra is saying you don't really feel the the strings you don't see the strings I'm actually going to touch on, as we go on, uh, one of the more maligned Marvel films. Oddly enough, you don't see, really see the strings at all. Like, it's actually really well-made. And I think that's Eternals. because of... Yes, exactly. But we're ah, going to talk Eternals. about Shang-Chi first. But we need to talk about Shang-Chi okay. first. <laughs> Which was great. Shang-Chi was awesome. Like, Sha- yeah. Shang-Chi, for me, was... Um, I'm still going to say... Uh, I'm I'm still like it's it's very close. It's very close for me for being like the strongest um origin film. I think I still give a slight edge to to Doctor Strange for me just cuz like I I really love the um the interactions um with the ancient one and the overall, you know, hey, it's it's not about you theme. Um it, it's really like a movie that they really could have fucked up like very easily and I thought they did a great job with it and and that's you know for the same reason I think that's why Shang-Chi is also so strong it was always you knew you knew they were going to be able to lean on some of the great um the great fight scenes and the great uh, martial arts uh work on that movie but it's just one of those movies where it just starts to do like more and more and more and you're like oh they're they're not going to do that are they and like holy shit they are you have so many moments like that in that movie I'm going to talk about what I consider the best strength of that movie. And it's uh, Tony Loon's performance in that movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For those who don't know, um, especially in, the, in like Amer- in a lot of American fandoms and American circles, uh, Tony Loon is one of those acclaimed actors of all time. In China, he probably is, he has more acclaim and has won more awards than basically any actor who's worked in the MCU. Actually, no, he has won more awards and more acclaim as actor than anyone in the MCU. He's like one of those act- he's like one of those actors that American audiences realize, oh my goodness, he's hot. How come I didn't see him before? <laughs> like the first thing I saw him in was a uh, Hard Boiled, the John Woo movie. Uh back in like the eighties, and it's one of my favorite action movies of all time, but like he's been Infernal Affairs and the Mood for Love, Chunking Express, The Grand Master. Like these are some of the best movies of all time. And if who if anyone hasn't seen this movie, because one of the things I that tends to be a sore spot for me are people in our fan circles that only only go into genre fiction or genre fiction or superheroes or sci-fi or things like that. I'm not I love those things too, don't get me wrong, but there's so much out there in terms of film culture. That people are not exploring. Yeah, they need to like you know sometimes go against the grain. Exactly. Like, oh, I I refuse to watch like a 
romantic comedy, but there's some really good romantic comedies, and sometimes they blend in with the other genres too. Yeah, because like if you refuse to watch romantic comedies, then you're not seeing movies like um, Andy Hall, for example. And but it's like, despite the controversy that is Woody Allen, and he is a controversy uh-huh. sponge. That is a movie where there's a reason, and I love Star Wars, but there's a reason that movie beat Star Wars for Best Picture. It was not a fluke. Yeah. It's a, in terms of, I mean, it's, there's a different types of uh, cinematography with, with Annie Hall and also how they move the narrative. Yeah. Now, so it's not just about special effects, but, you know. <laughs> now, regarding Sean, now, regarding Sean Chi, what, did anyone have any potential, any kind of issues? With the movie in comparison to the MCU, because we know we briefly touched on some of the issues we still have with Black Widow, even though we still, even though, like I said, from me and Michael, especially the movie has definitely seemed to grow on us. Well, I know Aquafina's a can be very polarizing person because she does like do like what uh, what's that word I'm looking for appropriation, yes, but she seems she seems great in this. I mean, she. Yes, she is the like the comic relief, but she does she's sort of like that uh grounding force towards Shang Shang Chi. She's like what you know, this is this is like the link to like a normal life for Shang Chi or Sean. That's it that's his little alias yeah. in the film. Like what? You you change your you just change a little you just rewrite some words here and there and you're just Sean? Yeah, and uh, I did appreciate the fact that they didn't try to force a romantic subplot between them two. Oh yeah, that too. Yep. They're just like buddies. They're more like, you know, almost brother and sistery. Just which is funny which is funny because he he does have a sister, Strong Cheek. And even though it was a small role, I liked seeing Razor Fist, because Razor Fist is actually a um a character from Chris Claremont's Wolverine. And this is actually the second time that the that the the Claremont's Wolverine run actually gets referenced in the uh, MCU. Like we've introduced, we've introduced, the, we've introduced his bar, we've introduced his enemy, and now we're seeing get Wolverine in there. And they did introduce a uh, Magikor. Yep, yep. Caught that during my little Falcon Winter Soldier rewatch. <laughs> Well, the I can't remember uh, what's the name of the bar in Magikor. Uh, hold on, let me see, because they sh- they show it specifically, like they show actually the bar, the main bar from Magikor, the Princess Bar. The Princess Bar is actually basically Wolverine, like Wolverine's home away from home when he's in Magikor. Oh yeah, Patch. Yep, yep, the best disguise ever. I do, I do. It's Patch because <laughs> I got a Patch. You know what it is? I think people are like. If we say that we know he's him, he will kill us. Yeah, yeah. You seem like you're that guy. Hey, Patch. That seems like a real name that people have. He will kill you. Shut up. Okay. Yeah, you go, Patch. You go do your thing with not stabbing me in the heart. With your with your knife with your with your hand knives. Only two people have. But you're not one of them. You're Patch. He's, but he's you're basically... not you're not what's his face, you're patch. You're not Lady Deathstrike. <laughs> he's basically like Kylo Ren in that SNL skit where he's like pretending not to be Kylo Ren. Yep. 
Um, <laughs> so one of the th- one of the things I I wanted to talk about this morning, Sandra, I want to get your take on this because how many movies do you see with American movies with with uh, Asian characters who aren't like fresh off the boat who are actually like Asian American? Ooh, okay. I need to sit down for this one. Because really, until this movie, and besides, oddly enough, Big Trouble in Little China, which I remember when I showed you that movie, and you were like, oh, okay, this is not what I expected. Um, I've never really seen that since, weirdly enough, Big Trouble in Little China in a like big blockbuster movie. I want to get your take on that. Hey. Oof. Well, Shang-Chi is one of the, one of the- one of them. I mean, they, right? I mean, recently there's like there's like a small boom of Asian American films. I mean, there's God, there's you got yourself the farewell, crazy rich Asians. Oh, and there's the big one, everyone's favorite and mine. And I keep messing up the the title. Hold on, let me find it. I have so everything. Isn't somewhere. everything everywhere all at once? Yes. I'm finally going to watch it. Yes. Oh, can, have you can, not seen it yet? I've not seen it yet. I'm actually oh, going to watch wow. it this week. I saw it in theaters. Um, it's 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 so good. I had a feeling it was going to be good. Um, it was yes. one of those movies where it looked so fucking weird. And I was like, I told my wife, okay, I, I got a feeling about this movie. It's just like, and, and I think this came, um, this movie came out not too long after, uh, like everything started getting very weird when they started talking about like multiverse um, with uh, with Loki and people were getting more and more excited about like anything multiverse. And I was like, okay, we, I, this, I think this movie is just going to get just as insane as we need it to get. And it got even more insane. And uh, the performances were so powerful. Which is funny because that movie is like, it doesn't get that recognition as like a superhero movie like it's just a very weird movie but in a good way so i want i want to touch on something real quick because all the movies that we've named off that have actually uh that are are focused on asian characters have actually focused on asian american characters have really all come out in the last like five like the last like three or four years and we're just hoping Um, this is not like just a moment this is the, you know, like, you know, like that Lin-Manuel Miranda says, like, this is some movement, not a moment or something. So a couple of years ago, I met uh, Becky Cloonan, uh, the comic artist and writer. She was in, she lives in Austin. I started signing there. And we talked about how she was the first female artist to draw <laughs> the main, a mainline Batman comic. And she didn't even know, like she was told by somebody because she kind of assumed, oh, there's no way that I'm the first person that's been around this long. And this was Batman number 12 from the new 52. Cause this came out in 2012. And my whole thing is, yes, it's good that this is happening. Why did it take this long? Well, that's, um, that's kind of like a, a heavy question because uh, I know I was like, like trying to like, I'm pausing for a good reason. It's like when, when you think about it, like so take for example essentially this movie deals with the the quote-unquote mandarin right 
who kind of was, you know, was originally introduced in Iron Man 3, or the concept of him was Iron Man 3. But the whole thing about uh, the way that he was introduced, and really, you know, just touching quickly on Iron Man 3, I didn't really hate it as much as um, other people. And I thought it was kind of appropriate that the the quote unquote Mandarin in that movie was just some some white guy with some you know dragon tattoos and shit like that who was just appropriating everything and kind of like stealing everybody he's, else's he's ideas. He's in on it. He's in on the. Yeah. Uh, he just completely you know uh, takes everything if, if credit for his own and then um, we do have you know this you know quote unquote Mandarin um, Wenwu he you know he's he's hinted at in the in the little uh short that came out like a long fucking time ago yeah it um, came out with thor the dark world yeah it was like so that long, long ago, ago. Yep. um so all hail, all hail the king there you go yeah that, that was that was called and then um so the the idea i kind of it they kind of reinforces what what ian is talking about like even when we or rather when even when uh a hollywood tries to give us that that type of villain it ends up being some kind of just you know uh, white guy appropriating it um and then we we've also had you know there's been a little bit of mcu controversy with you know some of the uh the way that it handles some of the asian characters because you know uh, with the first you know like i said even though i like uh dr strange there there was that controversy where people said that you know uh, tilda swinton shouldn't have played the ancient one who was uh, originally played uh, originally somebody who was uh, of Asian descent. Yeah. And even though they, they tweaked the character, there was still that that lingers until the Swinton that says that she kind of regrets taking that on. So the, there's I don't think there's any really like great answer or no, you know, no real positive one anyway as to why this has taken so long. But um, when it has to do with like the powers that be are very white. Yeah, yeah. The higher ups is it's similar to like the, the academy. How is like, yes, they're trying their best to diversify, but when you look at the bigger yeah. scope of it, I mean, you can only spot like a few persons of color. Yeah, but it's very like white. I mean, I saw the picture of the whole like academy, like academy nomination nominations nominees yeah. sorry and it's it's still white to the point where it's blinding my eyes the fact that top gun got nominated top gun maverick got nominated for best picture and it's a good movie just but not best like, picture <laughs> that's like nominating a michael bay like a high-end michael bay movie for an oscar and the fact yes, that that got no surprise about like uh blonde being nominated well and no, nothing nominated get, nothing against the uh, uh, Armas. I was like, what? The Woman King got ignored at the Oscars. Yeah. Woman King was so fucking good. Um, but and, uh, and if I, you haven't I, watched the people, you have no excuses on Netflix. Now yeah. Watch it. It, it's, it's a really good movie, but um, just, just circling it back to the Shang-Chi, I think also what, what was the good thing that came out of it because, um, you know, touching back on uh, how some of these movies, you know, you started to feel like the, the, the visual effects crunch. We also have to talk about the fact that a phase four was essentially pushed back because of the pandemic. Oh, yeah. So when people talk about like some of these uh, earlier entries, because when you look at Black Widow, um, it didn't do 
you know, the greatest box office numbers. Um, it, it did, you know, 380 million, which is, uh, I believe, the lowest of any of the Phase 4 movies. But it was the first one that, that kind of came out for Phase 4. And um, even even Shang-Chi, it didn't do the highest numbers, but Shang-Chi has um, just about, I think it's only second to No Way Home. It has the, the second Impressive. highest, it has the second highest uh, Rotten Tomatoes, you know, uh, critic and uh, audience average. And I think it has the highest Metacritic rating of any of the Phase 4 movies. And, you know... Uh, it, it was great to see uh, Shang-Chi give, uh, you know, uh, Asian people and Asian Americans that uh, representation that you saw, like, very uh, similarly for, like, Black uh-huh. Panther. When it was also something good to see, um, you know, when you saw all, like, the terrible uh, you know, racist shit that was coming from, you know, people who had no business saying any of that stuff, even from, you know, even our fucking president was saying shit like that. So What, what we, president? It's fucking President Trump. Yeah, what what president? <laughs> so um, when you when you have that, and then you turn around and you see like uh, Shang Chi being so uh, critically uh, and you know critically successful and so well received by audiences, and and you get to see such a, a positive reception to it, I think it, that was a great thing. Oh, um, briefly, we need to touch back on this because you mentioned. The evil box office of Black Widow. Uh, one thing that we forgot to touch on was the controversy behind the scenes of Black Widow, where um, Scarlett Johansson had been promised a percentage of had hit her contract a percentage of the box office for the movie. Oh yeah, that was a big thing. Yeah, because they didn't tell. That. Yeah, because they didn't tell her that they weren't going to include her contract. The oh, they didn't even tell her about the fact that they were going to be releasing the movie. On both Disney Plus streaming premiere and yeah. on and theaters at the same time, and so their logic, because her contract didn't say so and they never told her about it, was that they were going to not pay her any of the percentage of the amount made by through Disney Plus, and because of the low box office, because of the because of the the um because of the dual release, it also hurt the amount of money that she would have made from that movie. Like severely to the point where she actually successfully sued uh, Marvel, which is part of the reason. Well, Marvel and Disney, which is part of the reason Bob Iger came back and fired his replacement, Bob Chabak. Yeah, Bob Chabak. Hey, paycheck. Paycheck. Chabak, paycheck. This this rhymes. <laughs> and that, See what that I was did such there? a, a bom, ballsy bom. and necessary thing. Um, and I, I did, you know, was, you know, because when you have a Black Widow movie, um, the, the, of course, the, the assholes come out, the, the douchebags come out and they say like, oh, like, uh, this is going to fail. And, you know, all this bullshit, all the misogynistic bullshit. So when it came out that she was going to sue Disney, of course, you had some of that that similar backlash. But really, when it came down to because because like. Like Ian was saying, this is, you know, kind of when people were still, it's weird to think about it now because like people have completely like forgotten about the pandemic, even though it's still, you know, ongoing really. Um, But the thing is when they started releasing these movies, you know, kind of like simultaneously uh, HBO Max was doing the same thing. They were releasing some of the DC movies at the same time. It was such a, like, like Scarlett Johansson was like, 
she's she's probably like the most famous actress in the world. So she was the best suited to take that step to sue, you know, essentially like the biggest multimedia conglomerate in the world and say like, okay, you have to pay me. And on like this big old stage and she, she won and set that precedent for all these people who might be similarly screwed. Yeah. And the funny thing is a lot of people who complained about the movies not really being released on MC on Disney Plus at the same time. That's and the sad thing is that did that under uh is it Chapek? Yeah, Chapek. That under yeah. Bob Chapek, he was basically so cheap about this that he tried to blame her for them not doing this. And it wasn't blaming it wasn't his, it wasn't her fault. It was the fact that he couldn't that he was so cheap that he could not, um, that he didn't want to pay. Loosen those first people. strings. Yeah. And, it's and like, even though they're basically the biggest company, media company in the world, he even like, you know, even a few, few millions of dollars here and there. Exactly. It's, it's stupid. I know, but for her. Yeah, I'm really I mean, glad she's not who will. Yeah, because yeah. she is the, she is literally the most powerful actress in Hollywood. People don't realize people don't, a lot of people don't realize that she is the highest paid actress in Hollywood. I think Zoe Saldana. I think I think Zoe Saldana is like the second highest. Yeah, because she she is like in like several like several. Um, yeah billion dollar movie franchise franchise that is an that is an agent who deserves so many races man like he was because it's like because i mean that started with pirates of the caribbean and then it just like went up and up and up from there like people forget about that role that she had in pirates and then that's i think that's what actually led her to get the role in avatar and then from there the mcu and then once again that Despite the fact that, despite what a lot of people said, mostly trolls online, the next Avatar movie became one of the biggest box office movies of all time, following that streak that she's had. To the point where even oh, she if she's ever in Star Wars, her. she'll do the Disney hat trick. I don't think she will be, based on the fact that she's actually publicly stated that she wants to take a break from like these big tentpole movies and do some smaller work and do some like smaller work. As long yeah. as she's like matching the part. I mean, I remember the controversy with, like, this Nina Simone biopic. Yeah. Oh, um, moving into Eternals. I okay. am going to upset some people. I'm going to turn over some Apple Hearts. What do you do? Eternals is not a bad movie. At all. No, it's not. Eternals it's... is a movie that's not for the average studio audience. It's not for the popcorn goers. It's, it's the thing is it's slow pace. I mean, this is what it's the problem. It's a little thing similar to Andor, but Andor has the benefit of being a series. Yeah, we talk, and the funny thing is, it brings it brings up something. One of the best things about the about Phase Four and something continuing from Shanti, and that's diversity in, in terms yeah. of really strong talent. And because I know there's someone out there who's like, erg, diversity, force diversity. It's like, oh, fuck yourself, people. We don't give a shit about you at all. Um, but um, 
Yeah, you have hey, Chloe's out. Regina Carano has a has a has a series. Why not check out that? Hey, come on, they all of a hundred bucks. Um, a hundred bucks, freaking cool. crazy. But um, I mean, because Chloe's out, of course, had just done uh, No Man Land, and she just won, which uh, I, I, I could be wrong. One, it was the Best Picture winner of two thousand twenty. Is that correct? I think so. Yes. But yeah, this this, this had like a great great cast. Um, everybody's very excited about Angelina Jolie joining the MCU. Gemma uh, Chan. Yes, best picture, uh, best performance by an actress, and best directing. Yes. Ooh. And of course, um, you know, the Queen Salma Hayek joined the MCU. You know, it's Possibly really interesting. my favorite. Um, sorry, I just want to bring this up. Um, Huh? Uh, was it uh, Jen brought this up to me? Uh, she said, "How many movies? How many big box office movies can you think of that have two primary female leads who are over 50? Not a whole lot. Yeah, I I can't think of a single superhero movie that falls into that category. Yeah, I just thought that was really interesting. I wanted to. I just wanted to mention that real quick. Please continue. I apologize for interrupting." No, I was just uh, rattling off the cast here. Um, Brian Tyree Henry, who's just, you know, taken off uh, like a bottle rocket. Um, I always fumble his name. Uh, Barry, how do you say that? I think it's Barry Kogan. Um, yeah, okay. I'm, could, I'm probably Ron. It's a very, it's a very, I believe it's a very Irish name. Yeah, and, and he's, oh, you know, yes. he's obviously started to to blow up uh, the, the Banshees, the Irish Aram. Um, there. This was just you know we had some uh some Game of Thrones uh alums with Kit, Kit Harrington and Richard Ma- and Richard uh, Madden here, so th- this was definitely like like Ian was saying a movie that definitely wasn't for you know everybody. Um, when you when you look take a look because uh, part of what I did is is I took a look at you know our, our you know uh, Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic ratings. This had the lowest of you know any of them, any of the phase four movies and it really didn't deserve it funny enough the audience score for this one surprised me but it's, all it's of the, the same as love and thunder yeah the audience score is 77 percent. yeah and with the way that the, the internet is as a whole i was surprised by that because there's ten thousand plus radians and yeah. I have to give some credit to the internet. And I'm like, I don't understand. This is very confusing for me. Well, I think that, uh, honestly, I think there was a lot of, like you were saying, like a lot of uh, people who complain about the diversity in this movie, because really it is uh, very diverse, and especially the, the depictions of the characters. You had a deaf character in it, uh, uh-huh. you had gay characters, you had you know uh, Asian people, you had uh, Indian people, or sorry, I think uh, uh, Kamal Nanjiani is is Pakistani, sorry. Um, so you have a lot of representation in, in this movie and really, I think the only thing that I could, uh, agree when I start to see about some of the, the negative comments about this movie is there, there really are a lot of fucking characters in this movie and it is like really difficult to, to balance all of that. But um, like of of all the characters that got introduced in in this movie, I want to say like some of the like the weaker ones. Um, you know, like sorry, uh, <laughs> sorry, uh, fucking Kid Harrington, but I'm not sure Dane needed to be in this movie. 
Um, it's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, who is he? Why is but, he there? But I am looking forward to the Black Knight being officially part of the MCU now. Yeah, I mean that's cool. I, I mean, at least he was there for like, uh, you know, Blade to get his first, you know, little his little cameo in there. Um, is, is, he, is he just like just a voice? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my he god! Just, is like, I... Pops up at that very very end. Um, Kingo didn't really do jack shit in this movie which is kind of a, a shame oh what oh yeah remember the uh ending credit the uh post credits with uh harry styles yeah by, by the way harry styles is eros is the greatest like for those who don't know the character um <laughs> uh, there's some he does look like a star around this character though <laughs> i know but weirdly um, enough as eros could you get better than harry styles I want to say like I'm not like a big I I didn't really know much about Harry Styles but like I have nothing um, against the casting I think it's going to work out fairly well Eros is a big old man whore there was I know I know but um, I also think maybe there's like the 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 pip CGI was a little shoddy but other than that at least it gives like at least it's like at least Pat Oswald be happy yeah. knowing that he's in a Marvel film. <laughs> oh, kind of. Um, well, he was in Agents of Shield, though. Yeah, and he was also. I know it's not canon at all, <laughs> but he is also Modok. He was the first Modok. Yeah. He's oh. just like all over the you know the MCU multiverse essentially. Oh, can I need to talk about two particular castings? I was very very happy about. Uh, first one is Madon Tsuk. As uh, Gilgamesh. He was great. And for those who don't know, uh, like the thing that he's probably most known for from American audiences in terms of his Korean films is Train to Busan. Mm-hmm. And Train to Busan is an absolutely fantastic movie. And this is actually his first American film. Oh. And because um, he's done a lot of great Korean movies. Um, one of my favorites uh, is a movie called The Good, The Bad, and The Weird. And that's yeah. another one we're checking out if people haven't seen it. And it's just shenanigans with blood. It's Western ch- with blood. Sounds yeah. like a really great band. It does sound like a really good band. And uh, Lee Byung Hun, uh, his, he's one of the two leads along with uh, Sung Kane Ho. And it's just a re- really good movie, but he's fantastic. And it was the first thing I saw him in. And then, but like I said, most people are going to know him from Train to Busan. And then uh, Lauren Ridloff as Makari, who a lot of people didn't realize she was actually she is actually a deaf she is actually a deaf actress. And in terms of the way that they and most people are going to know her uh, from The Walking Dead as Connie, and then she was in The Sound of Metal in 2019 as Diane as well. Oh, she. Um, I'm going to say this in terms of execution of super speed. I think this is the best I've seen on Marvel and DC in terms of how to do super speed right in a yeah. movie. How so? Like, because it it's fucking amazing. That's why we get like the, the she gets she gets a run on water. She essentially like whenever people, especially um, like the the DC Snyderverse stands, get a little bit crazy. I'm like, you know what? The Makari Icarus fight shits all over the flash superman non-fight in oh yeah Justice League. yeah because one thing that i love i absolutely fucking love about this movie um because it's it's hinted at that the makari and drewy have a thing right 
So when Icarus tries to take out Druig, Makar is just like, all right, we're going to fucking go. It is go time. And she like feeds Icarus so many hands and she's like hitting him with like sonic booms. She is fucking him up. And I love that every time I watch the movie. Oh, and can we talk sorry, about Ian, the... I had to gush. Dude, you're good. <laughs> um, can we talk about the giant scale of this movie that we've been missing from a lot of recent Marvel movies? With a giant hand. Exactly. That we don't talk about we don't we don't talk about uh Tiamat. Like we don't talk about Bruno, we don't talk about Tiamat. We can don't we talk, talk about, about Cara Dude, but that's a whole different franchise. <laughs> can we talk about Arisham and the way they did the effects for the Celestials in this? That was great. That was pretty fucking badass. Um, that, Celestials have been... This isn't um, the first appearance of Celestials. And one of the things that kind of like bugs me... Uh, I know like, but there's a lot of things that fucking bug me about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. But they, one of the things that bugs me oh, is yeah. they refer to Ego <laughs> as a Celestial. And I thought that was like completely unnecessary. Uh, but anyway... Um, this isn't the first time Celestials have appeared. We've also seen um, Celestials uh, in flashbacks about like the Power Stone, wiping out planets, all that stuff. But this is really the first time we get like deeper into the lore of the Celestials and like what they do. And it was kind of ballsy because they essentially said that Erisham is like God, basically. Which I'm mm-hmm. sure some people weren't happy about. Oh, and yeah, so this is like isn't this the first first the first movie that Marvel delved into like the how we say the great beyond? Yeah. Because now it's like just for the past few uh, phases, phase yeah, what's the word phases? It's more like grounded to like Earth and planets from outer space. That's it. Nothing yeah. like. Another dimension, another well, realm, so and so. I want to talk talk about the casting, the voice casting for um a term for Erisham with uh, David K. David K is a name that you might not necessarily know, but it's void per, but you will know his roles. Um, anyone around our age who saw Beast Wars, he is the voice of Megatron. Um, he's done a ton of voice acting. He has. An amazing voice. He's a fantastic actor. And hearing him in this movie, I actually, even with the audio distortions, I immediately recognized his voice. So when I looked it up and I'm like, holy shit, they have David Kay in the MCU. I'm like, yeah, it's just, this just got better. I did and, not know uh, he was Megatron. Yeah. Oh, dude, the range of voice work that he has done is kind of insane. I believe it. He had that great, you know, essentially, you know, God voice. But, um, you know, even though like we, we talk about um, kind of appreciating these movies more so than, you know, the average, uh, you, know, you know, critic rating or the average, you know, uh, you know, douchebag comment section would, you know, uh, give this movie credit for. I, I do have to agree with some of the things that like my, my wife kind of tends to <laughs> talk shit about this movie for. And one of the things is uh, not really a. Ad- like I like I was saying, they don't really address the fact that you know a celestial appeared in the sky. They don't really address you know the, the big ass celestial that's poking out of the planet. Hey, what's that, and, honey? It's a hand. Yeah, huh. was I'm, that there yesterday? 
Just just be uh, glad, you know, just be glad he came out hand first and not some other appendage is all I'm saying. It's a leader. That was a mountain. It was like, quick, Cersei, touch it, transform it. And she's like, I don't want to. Oh, no. He touched the butt. Oh, that, wasn't the, that wasn't the butt. Uh, just <laughs> celestial, like, coming out anus first. That's... <laughs> Oh, that's right. Circuit 42 because we will get analytical on your ass and then we'll become children and it's amazing. So sure. <laughs> oh, God. Um, no, but that, that's kind of like I'm a thing glad that it's that just, does I'm glad it's me. me. A little bit. Yeah, I mean, it does, It does. I think, get like a like a snippet of mention in, in She-Hulk, something about like, hey, there's like a like a headline or something, I think, real quick, or somebody might, like a flash is on the screen saying like, oh, there's a giant thing sticking out of the the, the ocean and that's that's basically it um so maybe that might be you know uh contributing to some people's feelings like you know hey all these big things are happening but we don't see a whole lot of uh actual interaction with the, the greater mcu so that that's something that i could you know probably you know uh, appropriately ding it for but other than that you know and the other a couple of the other things like maybe feeling like um like the deviants weren't really you know, I, I, I always hardly forget about even them. felt yeah they're hardly really even there or necessary they're because not it turns really out much that, like villains they're more like antagonists yeah. i mean we just we just realized well, that the villains the is... why oh why? sorry well why? think about uh, it it kind of ties into the reason why because they aren't really the enemies yeah and that it was it was the villain is inside the house the whole time <laughs> yeah and it was, it was a little bit of a waste of um you know uh, uh, bill skarsgård and, and his talents um i'm yeah. hoping that's not like the last that we've seen of the deviants um especially if you you so, you're somebody like me who's kind of became more curious about the Eternals and started reading more uh, Eternals comics that, that have come out recently and they've, they've really, and, and it's another stupid thing is like people criticize like the, the more recent like a uh, judgment day event for Marvel because it did have to do with the Eternals and you're here. Uh, all sorts of sniping online about like, Oh, they're trying to make the Eternals relevant and keep them relevant for the movies. But Ew, I, I really this, think this is movie a is unknown group. I don't like what happened. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's isn't, isn't um, I feel like a dumb dumb. Uh isn't it Kieran Gillen who's writing the Eternals right now? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Kieran Gillen is one of the best writers of Marvel in the last twenty years. So anyone's basically just saying, Oh, they're trying to keep it relevant. It's like you're not reading the comics, so shut your mouth. And then uh, I think uh the, the, the main artwork is also being uh handled by like uh Isad Ribic. Oh yeah, Isad did... Ribic is one of the greatest comic artists in the industry right now who did some of like the 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 greatest like art i think for the like the thor run um jason aaron's thor run uh it's 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 really interesting work and i that's part of the reason why i'm kind of i'm a little bit upset that uh they they seemingly have done away with the the deviants i hopefully not um but yeah overall i i like this movie a lot more than than you know most people did it seemed um and I really thought it did a good job, of, like touching on some of the more, you know, human themes, and you know, kind of slow down and uh, to do that. Yeah, and then at the same time, movie. did like these giant, crazy cosmic stories. So 
I, I don't see what the big deal is about this movie. I don't get that. I think it's just not like it's just not like other like Marvel movies where it's just like blow stuff up. Well, you do get blow stuff up, but this is like you know it has symbolism and meaning. Exactly, yeah. symbolic explosions. But we we can't have that now. <laughs> so next, no, no, is... this has to be meaningless explosions and yep. men walking away from the explosions, like yeah, Iron Man. But... Well, we haven't got and, to Thor: Love and Thunder yet. Come on, that's and goat screams and goat screams. We need goat screams every five. Ah, oh, that movie's bad. All right, <laughs> so oh, that's, but a, movie, that's a great way to waste your goats. I yeah. like goats. So and movie, also, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, I was just gonna say. I think so, Ian. I know we're. I think what kind of hurts Eternals is like the same thing that kind of sort of hurts, like you know, maybe like Alien, is that. It comes right before the one that everybody loved. Well, actually, and... we're going to be talking about Hawkeye. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Oh, Hawkeye. And Hawkeye is something that was very personal for both myself and Sandra. Because, damn, did they do a good job pulling from the uh, Matt Fraction run. Yes, I'm I'm actually uh, re-watching it right now. And um, another so thing... Good. That I guess if if we're gonna talk about uh, the shows a little bit, and you know, if as much as we do enjoy, um, you know, getting everything from our sweet, you know, mousy overlord, there do I too. Uh, well, <laughs> there there are <laughs> these like there are these um, these controversies that pop up, and one of them um, happens to be something kind of like a bad habit and something that kind of uh, rings up like some of the darker side of the comic book industry. And that is how the shows, um, maybe not so much Loki, but certainly um, this really came out with like Hawkeye is how they start to use a lot of the, uh, the style of the, the, the artist who worked on the, the runs on which these series are based Without necessarily but paying these artists, without giving them a lot of you know, oh yeah, Ed Brubaker compensation for for it. I mean, yeah, it did really, um, like like Sandra's saying, you know, with Falcon Winter Soldier, that was it was it was a thing, but it it became like even more and more blatant when they're starting to use like the the art styles. They're recreating um, David Aja's artwork yeah. in this, and they are not paying him for it. And they did it for for She Hulk too. So that's one of like the things that wasn't so great about what they've been doing with these these series. As a show, though, um, like I know, the, Michael, have you read Matt Fraction's Hawkeye? Yeah. Okay. And Sandra, you introduced me to Matt Fraction's Hawkeye. I read it Yay. about ten years ago. Ten. And wow, I'm old. Oh, well, we're all old, man. Um, it's it's internet age, man. We aren't we aren't old until we're actually old. So there you go. But um, <laughs> in terms, like I love the fact that this wasn't a beat for beat moment for moment adaptation because, as we know, that can get boring. Yeah. But they drew. And also, uh, David Aja's artwork. I mean, it's great, but it's mostly blues and grays. Yeah. Um, which is part of the reason I actually loved. Um, a lot of the backup artists that came on because the funny thing is I remember I remember because I think you were first getting into really getting into 
comics in the 2000s with the Hawkeye run. Uh-huh. And I remember you told me, oh, yeah, there's this other, this other, these other guys who are on the book, too. They're like backup artists. And in retrospect, the backup artists are Alan Davis, who's like one of the most like, iconic superhero artists of all time. Oh, yeah. I remember this is one annual issue of Hawkeye where it looks like a, like a vintage comic book. Yeah. And uh, Francovia, Francis- Francisco Francovia, who... Um, oh, thank you for pronouncing it, because I have no idea how to pronounce that name. I have made, you know, I told you, know what, it's so funny. Um, somebody told me once they said, they, that's uh, they the just, teacher. Well, there you are. Um, I, I have the, what I call, I have the quality of being able to pronounce, um, pretty able to pronounce names of ver, ver, pronounce words, names, languages without actually speaking any of them particularly well, which I don't know if that's good or bad, but, that's, um, that's why we keep you around Ian. Pretty much. But um, yeah, like, and anyone who knows Frank Villa now, like his big thing that he kind of broke out in the industry with was Afterlife with Archie, a book that was constantly delayed and eventually just never finished. But at the same time, when you're like the big guy at Mondo, you know, you're going to, you're going to be kind of busy, unfortunately. But um, yeah, this was a, this was a series I, despite the controversies, like we were talking about, I love it. The casting, the directing, the writing, pulling from source material without making it overzealous or overwhelming. This was this was like top tier or near top tier in terms of Marvel for me. Yeah, if you if you if it's like a B for beat top uh B for beat uh comic book adaptation, you will have Tony Stark back from the dead and then uh Spider Man saying happy Hanukkah. Even though we're not sure if it's establishing Hanukkah. Yeah. The, um, I don't know. <laughs> and then I, you, you got yourself Madame Mask. Yeah. I'm sure she's in. I wish Madame Mask had been this. Madame Mask is so cool. So one of the things, so I did, like part of the reason um, why I did read that run so that I can kind of like familiarize myself with, you know, uh, the source material as this show was coming out. So I did do a read through it. So I feel like I have to throw out a little bit of warning to people who do like a a similar read um, for the purpose of like getting some background on, you know, on the show and, you know, seeing how it compares. You have to understand that um, this Hawkeye, the MCU Hawkeye is like so much more. It's so different than the fucking the comic book hawkeye oh yes the thing that throws me in in the in the show oh sorry in the, the matt fraction run is how much more competent kate bishop is because at this point she's already been introduced for a bit and she's already i think she's already led the young avengers for a little uh-huh. bit so she's like the one who kind of has like her shit together and she's, she's exactly. it's almost like fucking inspector gadget where you know hawkeye is inspector gadget and she's penny and she's oh. just kind of like in the background like it's you know keeping him alive <laughs> so that's how like the comic is so it was and to me she is um, she's penny and brave yes and so what I thought was a little, what threw me a little bit about the show and kind of what I, if I, if I were to take something away from the show is I kind of wish that like I got to see 
um yeah kate bishop be you know have a little bit more swagger have a little bit more confidence and not being so much deer in the headlights type um so i kind of wish that that part was there a little bit more but you know it's it's still you know Haley steinfeld so you're still going to get that that charisma you're still going to get that that range of performance and the thing though that also helps like beef it up is like some of the the other performances like uh like uh, florence Pugh comes back as yelena and her interactions with with kate are just fucking gold yeah um i was actually going to comment on that because in the in the, especially in the second half of the show uh where we where we end up where they introduce alica fox as maya and we get, which I loved seeing that as a Daredevil fan, which we are definitely going to touch on near the end of, uh, near the end of the Hawkeye segment. And like you said, the scenes between her and Florence Pugh as Elena, we really get to see um, Kate Bishop become that character by the end of the show. I mean, you look at the fight scenes with her and the other characters, and you're seeing that confidence build as the yeah. show goes on. And I appreciated. There was very much, there was very much that arc and with the character that we don't, unfortunately, don't see as much in a lot of uh, in a lot of movies nowadays. Like a character kind of seemingly starts off with everything that they need and all the tools that they need. It was nice seeing that something different in in regards in regards to that. Yeah, and you got to see also uh, Kate pushing uh, pushing Clint to kind of accept himself as more of like a like a superhero. Because throughout his depiction in MCU, he's definitely been more of like a soldier or a spy or, or an assassin. Or a Not hired gun. Yeah. He's essentially like like a merc or like some people would argue, you know, like a like a serial killer. Um, that's, you know, the kind of the dark place that he went to uh, when he was Ronin for, for five years when everybody was, was dusted. Yeah. So... And that comes back the to the blip or the stab. I forgot what that. The blip. The blip. I'm kind of upset that they settled on that for the name, but I guess it's something. I, I kind of just wish somebody just threw away, just put a throwaway line in there, just saying like, I mean, it sounds better than you know, dusted, because that sounds kind of fucked up, but whatever. Um, but I, I I appreciated that she pushed uh, Clint to be you know more accepting of himself as a superhero. Um, I did not really expect them to introduce swordsman in this, which was kind of weird because I think they also tried introducing him before in Agents of Shield um, for a few episodes, and it's just kind of kind of random. That's like her like yeah. Hawkeye two's stepdad now, but. It's considered non-canon at this point. Well, I think the swordsman yeah. is like a mentor figure Clint, and then, I don't yeah. know. I think he helped like train him as like part of, uh, I think he's like a circus background and all that stuff. Yeah, because yeah. Um, yeah, I have like a children's book of like the origin stories of uh, Marvel superheroes, and one of them is Hawkeye. As like, okay. oh, Clint Clint was an orphan. He ran away with this in the circus. He got trained by, to be an archer by this man called the Swordsman. But turns out Swordsman was a bad guy. Hawkeye's kind of an asshole at the beginning. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You never talk about the the difference between 
six foot six Hawkeye and MCU Hawkeye because six foot six Hawkeye was a was quite a jerk, quite a he was player. Like always trying to fight Captain America, so I don't think that would that would fly he here in the moves. MCU. <laughs> Captain America just punch him on in the uh, face like uh, Scarlet Witch. It's like, hey, want to raise some babies together? Yeah. Okay, Hawkeye put new moves on everyone. Yeah, as Hawkeye? we all see from the Mad Fraction run, he put moves on everyone. <laughs> Hawkeye yes. was almost he was he's kind of like like the Guy Gardner of of you know of Disney. No, that's the... unfair. He's much more likable than Guy Gardner. And then and then in the MCU, he's like a family man. Like I just want to be with yeah. my kids. But, oh my god, you only he he's Thomas Jane and Arrested Development. I just want to get my kids back. <laughs> well, like, uh, one thing, um, I, so the timing, I think, of this show is also kind of important because this show does take place, you know, around Christmas. Like, the whole thing is essentially, you know, Hawkeye's trying to wrap up all of these shenanigans and time to get back for, you know, back in, in home for Christmas. So I really felt like that kind of gave like the whole ordeal like this diehard vibe. Did anybody else get that? I think that's really? the point of like during the marketing. It's like die, it's like Home Alone, Die Hard, but the with the MCU package. Well, you know what? I told somebody that this was like the most Shane Black thing that Shane Black never made. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I can see. So that. Shane Black, he, he, that is a. That is a writer and a director of the Christmas fetish. And if anyone has seen the movie The Predator, <laughs> we have learned very quickly that Shane Black should never direct a movie that's not set around during Christmas because apparently Halloween doesn't work for him. Like, oh, Halloween's Halloween. You expect that. But Christmas, but no one expects that. People expect no one expects Christmas that. People are what were they think, they think, when you think Christmas, you think Hallmark movies, not, you know. But um, yeah. one thing I want to say is like I'm I'm gonna like admit like I didn't like this this show as much um when it first came out but it's like on, on a rewatch I'm starting to appreciate so, some of it more and more and one thing I I guess I appreciate is it really it it does a lot I mean it introduces Kate Bishop it brings back uh Elena. To touch upon you know that uh that stinger from black widow so that that she could resolve her issues with uh with hawkeye um obviously we talk about introduce swordsman um introduce you know echoes you know slash maya who could potentially have uh that could potentially have some ramifications for like later on with you know the x-men and phoenix because she does become um yeah oh, one of the people who i forgot to watch the, the we forgot the one thing Yes. Wilson Fisk. Yes. That. Yes. So oh. internet went bad with 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 happiness. All all the good parts then. Um so and that was important too because like the the timing of that was lining up with uh, the release of of No Way Home. And I think that that Kingpin like confirmed like episode like came like right after the release of of No Way Home, so they had to time that right. Yeah, we have to we have to talk about this because I remember there were people who this is this is what I hate about the comic fandom. People complained about Kingpin because he had a Hawaiian shirt on. What? 
Yes. And here's the thing. I think I think Kingpin would 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 kick you with a Hawaiian shirt. There's a Spider-Man graphic novel by Mark Wade called Spider-Man Family Business, where he is wearing a white suit opened up with a untucked Hawaiian shirt. It is a red and white Hawaiian shirt. It's the exact same thing that he's wearing in this movie. Yeah. The moment and I put that online is the moment that everyone on my page shut up had shut up about him wearing the Hawaiian shirt. And I think it's kind of like the, you know, the, the patch joke you were making earlier. It's like, who's who's going to give him shit about it? Yeah, because he'll kill them. It's like, hey, hey, you don't like my shirt? Come here. Let me crush your skull for a second. And that's that's the last oh, yeah, time. Like, oh. <laughs> um, uh, oops, you're dead. That, that was pretty cool that they that they brought him in in for this. The thing that's kind of uh, that's almost like a little bit weird. Then I'm, I'm kind of like wondering like how they're gonna reconcile it. Is they they made it seem like Kingpin's been around this like whole time, so. Yeah, I, I hope that they like figure out how they're gonna, um, you know, fold Daredevil in, because you know, obviously, when uh, the MCU was getting its feet under underneath it, it was starting to do Age of the Shield. Obviously, it started to do the Netflix shows. So, um, like the cool thing, like that we we started talking about with with Loki is like with, with the multiverse and all that good stuff. You get to kind of pick and choose. It's the same thing that happened in comic books. You know what you want. You know you could you can throw something out there. You can throw a whole series out, and like depending on how much people like it or not, you can decide to keep it. And you can you know destroy that universe and whatever multiversal you know war. Can I cherry pick what I what? Yeah. Can I cherry? Can I alternate? Can I alternate the the Amazing Spider-Man universe to my liking, please, Mister Feige? Basically, yeah. So they it's going to be interesting to see like what they do with the, the daredevil show and like how they're going to, um, you know, figure out that, figure that part out because like Hawkeye talks about Kingpin as if he's been there the whole time. Um, you know, originally daredevil was supposed to be, you know, uh, you know, Canon. And now with this new show coming out, there's all these, you know, uh, tidbits leaking or uh, comments coming out saying, Oh, this person's coming back for the show versus this person's not. Um, that we haven't decided what direction we're going to oh, go. Nobody remembers about the Secret keep. Wars. Yeah. <laughs> so that's going to be interesting to see. Um, and the, another weird thing is like seemingly um, they kill Wilson Fisk at the end of this. And, okay, have you read the Daredevil story Parts of the Whole by David Mack and Joe Quesada? No. Okay. This is a spoiler for a 23-year-old comic book. Does he get shot in the head and then he gets so something. He gets shot in the eyes and he is blinded. And it leads into Bendis's Irritable where we have a blind oh, Wilson okay. Fisk. But he survives it. I remember um, reading uh, some of Bendis's, his uh his Daredevil run. It's so good. And seeing the blind um, Kingpin and Kingpin gets, you know, uh, Caesared. So that I remember that. And I was kind of wondering, like, hey, why is he blind? That was one of those uh, those comics that came like in uh, like the free comic book day stuff, uh, the teasers to get people interested in it. So now that I have like the unlimited app and all that good stuff, I should probably go back and reread that and get a little bit deeper into it. But. Yep. Bob Gale's Daredevil. Um and for those who don't know, Bob Gale wrote Back to the Future, 
Bob Gale is not a very good superhero writer. He wrote Batman well for no way for um for um blah 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 blah. What's the what was the big Batman event for the late nineties, early two thousands? A really good one. I'm not talking about um when Bane breaks. I don't know. There's a no, lot. No, no, no man's land. Oh, um, okay, yeah, this is not the Bob Gale who wrote Batman in No Man's Land. This is the Bob Gale who wrote a Daredevil comic that was so bad that it didn't even get published in trade for twenty years. That's and they bad. only released it because they because people were insisting that they fill the gap between those books. Um, terrible. Chuck Austin's entire X Men run got got put into trade the moment it was released. Think about that, people. Some of the worst comic runs of all time, and that got put in the trade as it was coming out, and this didn't. Um, but yeah, the read Daredevil, read Smith, skip Bob Gale, read David Mack, and just go right into Bendis. That's my suggestion. Yeah, I, I do like Bendis on Daredevil. Yeah. So he is the man. Did anyone want to touch anything else regarding? Hawkeye, before we move into one of the big ones, Spider-Man No Way Home. I like the chemistry between uh, Elena and Kate. Yes, that was the best part of the show. Yeah, it's just like, oh, can they kill? I want to, and also, Lucky. Oh, Lucky the Pizza Dog. Yes. I like how they just, like, CG, like, maybe it's like a good thing or a bad thing, but I like how they CG the eye. By the way, the internet needs to relax. I know that we are very much a very the internet very cannot relax, Ian. We we it never I, relaxes. <laughs> anyone who knows me knows that I'm moderately left leaning. I guess would be a good way to describe it. Mm-hmm. Huh? You're dirty Yeah, pretty much. And even I'm like, internet, are we really getting mad? Why I have a three legged dog? Are we really getting mad because the dog? on TV is not actually missing an eye. <laughs> Do you want the one-eyed dog to get thrown into traffic? Because I don't. Yeah. We don't um, want any dog to get thrown into traffic, but are you mad just, because the eye of a dog? No, yeah. that's sad. The poor little I had forgotten. It's like, it's, I forgot about like that, that bullshit. That, <laughs> yeah. It's like that scene in the, the Simpsons where you have that one old man, like the poor dog. The internet can and be I was, I was just about to say I'm glad that they didn't because I think in in the comic um Lucky starts out with both eyes right and then gets like like beaten or hurt yeah yeah he loses an eye right he uh he saved Hawkeye by like push like something like I need to look at that up but like like long box is like buried oh poor yeah. long box like he got hit but, by a car I think yeah something like that and then um an- another thing that the show established is um yeah hawkeye you know having hearing problems oh yeah and which it's i don't think like, had been addressed before it was a it was like like so like he says like how do you how did that happen and there's there's a quick little montage of yeah. like him like getting beat up through basically throughout the phase one through three yeah which which makes sense and at the same time I guess it kind of like skips past like the explanation for how he becomes deaf, um, you know, in in the comics. It's a very human thing. Fucking terrible. Um, Ian, do you want to expand on? I honestly don't remember. I believe what happened was because uh, in the comic and in Mad Fraction's run, 
there is a creepy uh, mine-like character. Oh, that's sort of dark as shit. And and he stabs Hawkeye in the ears Eek. with arrows, I believe, is what happened. Eek. Yeah. And then that's where he was having to like deal with that. Um, and then it also kind of like forced him to like lean on Kate a little bit. It's, it's interesting to think that, you know, I wonder if at, at any point they, they considered doing that and, you know, having that be an angle of the show. But, um, you know, they're, they're, like, like we were saying, the show does do a lot. So maybe it didn't like feed that angle. Maybe it didn't have time for that. But, um, Hey, they, they, they made their, their choice and we'll see where it goes. Also, I need one more thing to add. I mean, I like the, I think that's what they, I, I want to say it's an improvement from the comic books. Because it's like, that's the one thing like makes me go, ick. I was reading it. Is the, how the relationship between Kate Bishop and Hawkeye is more fa- father and daughter. Because yeah. in the comics, and especially in the Mad Fraction run, it seems like like Kate has this unrequited crush on Clint. That's like, uh, I don't know about that. You know, are you sure you want to like tap? Are you sure you want to reconsider about other dudes or ladies? Nope. Honestly, Same. I did have a huge issue with it because it never got weird. Because he, because he, because he made it very clear that this was not appropriate to him at all. Yeah, and. And I actually did. I actually did appreciate that aspect of it. I also, I also like that they never went. Um, for anyone who's seen the movie Leon the Professional, I appreciate that they never went Leon the Professional with it, and just made it just insanely creepy. Oh yeah, but that doesn't stop other creeps making a uh, what do you call it? Well, the countdown to Natalie Portman's 18th birthday. Well, that's just gross. Yeah. I think it definitely helped the the fact that this MCU is, you know, firmly established as like a family man to help, you know, steer away from that type of storytelling, um, that, that whole thread. Because uh really I I really appreciate how whenever a show doesn't force that kind of romantic connection or whenever a movie doesn't force something like that. Because um, a lot of times we, we just see the same shit over and over again, the same type of will they won't won't they plot beats, and it's it's old. But also, also it helps like like it in the beginning of the series is established like Kate has this really great relationship with her own father, but after after the war of was it the Battle of Manhattan where he, di- he yeah. dies off screen, there's like this big hole in her art like for a father figure also if also if he did anything weird we knew laura barton would kill him yes because yeah. she's yeah. uh agent 19 i love that i love that they brought that in yeah so that means we got velma dinkley as mockingbird oh one last thing i want to touch on Vera from you guys really really good in the show as oh. uh, eleanor bishop Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. She's really damn good in this show. Because it is such a different character. A lot of people are going to know her more from like, from the... Some people might know her from The Departed, but the majority of recent viewers know her more from The Conjuring, or she, the Conjuring films, where she plays Lorraine Warren. And you cannot get more opposite 
of that character in this performance. What's the actress's name? Um, Vera Farmiga. Really, she she like uh, came on my radar with running. Bates Motel. Yeah, yo, she, she's fantastic at Bates Motel. That's just a great show, anyway. Funny enough, if you've seen Bates Motel, everyone knows who Bates Motel. The Norma Bates character kind of does feel like they could be in the same universe as this one. Yeah. Um, but anyone who knows from her, from her movie work, this was kind of a shock to people. Just good performances um, all the way around. The I guess I guess if I'm going to take like one 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 little thing away from it because I got to like counterbalance all of our gushing is um, okay. <laughs> Uh, it's okay. Yeah, no, I was just gonna say, like, uh, Wilson Fisk really seemed like he got like a power boost. I remember him doing some extra superhuman shit in this one. Oh yeah, it's which, the MCU uh, version for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like, hey, uh, you, welcome to the MCU. Here's your part. Here's your power pills. Neat. He was getting shot up with these arrows and shit, and I think actual bullets. These arrows won't hurt me. Holy Snap, shit! Like, I have like, super serum now. Yeah, I mean, oh really, God. everybody has it now. Um, thank you, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yeah. Oh my God! Uh, <laughs> wow, that's another like hole to door to open. Like, what if Wilson Fisk got the super serum all along? <laughs> A lot of dead people. At the end. And he's just like, let me let me snap these arrows like toothpicks. No Daredevil, he just hits that guy in the head with the car once and he's already dead. It's like, well, shit, that was fast. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, <laughs> that man is super dead. Just fucking decapitated. Super dead. Yep. Super dead. That's a terrible power to be super dead. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, a dead man over in DC just hanging out making faces and being from New Jersey. Wow. I, I I thought you'd appreciate that deep cut, Michael. Yeah, I like Dead Man. Dead Man's awesome. Yeah. I got his action figure. Cool. How dead is it? He's 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 cool. He's, he's uh the McFarlane one. Um, he did such a good job on that figure. He's got like a little swirly shit. I, I liked him a lot, so I had to grab that one. Oh, moving moving on to the moving on to the big one. The big Spider Man No Way Home. Now. Sandra and I, we did a review with Dan. Dan dropped off of that review, and it's one of the few times where a review got more chaotic after he left. I can because imagine. it basically became... It, it looks like a good chaotic. <laughs> yeah. It basically was just... If you want to hear uh, myself and Sandra... Screeching? Without any mutual exclusivity of creeping on uh, Zendaya and Andrew Garfield... To the point where it's only moderately uncomfortable. Go back and listen to that podcast. I'm terrified. Watch us sim to Zendaya and Andrew Garfield for yes. that long for over an hour. And as I and as I've said, and Sandra can confirm, there was no mutual exclusivity who had who had which crush on whom. So it's not like some some listener is going to listen and like, wait, why are you, who are you crushing again? Yes. So. The, the big boy, Spider-Man No Way Home, which essentially 
restarted the movie business. Yeah. Does everybody remember how fucking crazy it was when you saw the Spider-Man coming through the portals? How about the fact that the moment that this movie premiered, there was immediately a COVID spike the following that weekend? Yeah, unfortunate. It did uh, not yeah. it did not stop the movie from making like nearly one point nine billion dollars. Yeah. I had my mask on, so same. So that made it the highest grossing phase four movie. Um it had a ninety-three percent critic rating and a ninety-eight audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So that gives it like the highest average. Um, strangely enough, it's it also, the highest it standalone MCU movie outside of it, like an Avengers movie, right? Yeah, and it doesn't have the highest of the Phase Four uh, of of Metacritic. Shang Chi has the the highest with seventy one, and um, No Way Home has sixty nine. So <laughs> sixty nine, baby, nice. <laughs> but um, like when when it, in terms of like the uh, the the thing is. Everybody, I think, can agree that No Way Home was was pretty fucking awesome. But I I think when you talk about No Way Home and you talk about Phase Four and you talk about it in in the context of the MCU, especially post Endgame MCU, you have to, I think, take into consideration the how much people how much the audience demands fan service these days yeah and yeah. This I, to movie... be honest i didn't really think that everyone's saying like oh andrew garfield is back tell me is back i didn't really believe it i thought like okay i need <laughs> to see it yeah, to believe it because it was too good to be true yes that's but what this... it is it's too good to be true like i want my voice back yeah, but i don't like... want to believe it People were fucking losing it when they saw like that Alfred Molina's Doc Ock was going to come back, and when they heard uh, William Defoe's cackle as the as the Green Goblin, there's like, there's no fucking way this is going to happen. They're not they're not really going to do that, are they? Right? And they did it, and they somehow like don't hurt me, really good fucking job of keeping it a secret. Um, They did such a good job. They basically made it so that. You know, nobody's ever going to believe. Says, oh, Andrew it's Photoshop! It's Photoshop. Yeah. They're never going to believe like holding them a poster in an up like, hey, "Remember me?" <laughs> so, Dude, Andrew yeah. Garfield was re- the reverse Tom Holland yeah. on this movie. Whether <laughs> he came to all the interviews he beforehand, he did such a good job, like lying his way through all that shit. But yeah, that's I, how good of an actor he is. I yeah. will say though, like, um, like as as much. Because like uh, I guess I have to be like the the downer. Um, there, yeah, there are like true. there are like consequences to um, you know when movies do you know stroke your fan service this much. Ah, <laughs> uh, you ah uh, you hit the you hit the fan service button. <laughs> so like this movie did a lot of that, but at the same time, like I don't think it was purely that because. I I don't think it was just the fact that you know uh, Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire coming back and all these like villains and all this like nostalgia factor was making it the strongest 
Spider-Man movie of the MCU. Like, does does anybody disagree that this is the the best Spider-Man movie of um, the MCU? Uh, like, yeah. or in terms of uh, terms of like, are you including Sony? Are you talking no, about? No, no, I'm talking about purely like the like the Marvel Studios ones. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. So I, I'm not sure. Okay, I'm going to be honest with you. I wasn't a fan of Tom Holland's Spider-Man. But this movie kind of like turned turned it around for me. It colored my opinion. How yeah. is the fact that um, he's he doesn't represent the people. I want to say this: he doesn't represent the people. He's more when yeah. I think of Spider Man, I think of like the people's superhero. I don't know. He's like I don't know. Why am I talking to him like like he's Princess Diana? I don't know why. <laughs> It is and the best performance he gives as Spider-Man of the three movies. With and the with fact that it was like he's the fact that he's basically not not only in terms of fan service, but he kind of restarts his whole life because yeah. you can feel like he's in the, at the bottom. He's starting over. He's not relying on Tony Stark. He's not relying mm-hmm. on all these. Uh, he's not relying on a big, big, well-known group. He's just on his own and but like you're saying like i i as as much as i did um because he was introduced in civil war and civil war really did a ton of shit and introduced black panther and spider-man adapted this this huge ass story arc it uh you know set the tone for a lot that was going to go forward you know broke up the avengers it did a lot so I I liked his like performance. Um, I like his introduction. But then when we started getting into his his solo movies, like you were saying, I didn't like it as much for for similar reasons because it felt like this Spider Man was kind of being babied a little bit by the fact that he had the backup from Iron Man. He had the backup from the Avengers. He had the backup from Nick Fury. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. He didn't really feel like he was like on his own. He didn't really feel like he was making the sacrifices that you associate with Spider-Man, the, the kind of stuff that makes him the underdog and, and uh, makes him, you know, pretty much puts him like on an island. And yeah. this movie did that. It finally resolved those issues that, I had with it because it, it took him to that place where he had to experience that loss and he had to here's experience the thing, what it like, was like to have nothing. Here's the thing, like in the beginning, he does have a good su- support system, but it was too good. Like it's just like he needs a. He, it's like he's getting a handout. He's getting handouts left and right. What I want is like what I really want is like Spider Man to have friends. See friends. The funny thing about this movie, and I think there's something that both of you appreciate, is that they tr- he tries to do the same thing with Doctor Strange. And he realizes that Doctor Strange is not Iron Man. Doctor Strange is not happy, even. Um, because Doctor Strange is like, no, I don't want to help you because I see the larger consequences of your actions. And because Tom, not Tom, uh, Peter in this universe. Peter one, Yeah, P- yeah Peter one is still very much immature. Uh, he's like, oh no, everyone's helped me before, so this should be perfectly fine. And then it's like, no, here are the consequences. Here's everything that is your fault. Because And that's what I like about it. He's dealing with he's dealing with the, his 
he needs to deal with the consequences of his own actions. That's why I like him. I was like, oh, this is my fault. I have to live with it. Yeah. He's not going to talk his way out of it. Oof. Is there anything? Because our Spider-Man review covers a lot of ground um, that we previously did. Did anyone else want to touch on anything on this before we move into Moon Knight? Um, uh, I'm just going to throw it out there. Uh, Toby's still the best. I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, I a story, know, that's a debate I, for another day. I did appreciate the fact they, like, as we were talking about their fan service, they gave, um, you know, Andrew, and to- P- Peter Three, his redeeming moment with, with MJ. That was, that was great. Um, but the reason why I prefer toby is the same reason you know that i'm talking about like needing to have like a spider-man who's like more of an everyman needing to have a spider-man who's the underdog that series show was like all of that everything that we liked about this one and like spider-man having to deal with like consequences and having to deal with being the underdog that whole trilogy was like that so that's oh yeah why I when think you think about it that. yes because it makes me like when you really when one watching the mcu Spider-Man, it makes me more appreciate of Spider-Man 3 because most of it is not just Venom's fault. It is Peter Parker's fault. It's like, you know what? You got this oh you have this this fame going over your head. You have to deal with it. You have to crawl through the mud just like everyone else, buddy. I'm not gonna agree with you on Spider-Man 3. Yeah. Um <laughs> But, that's a, that's a weird hill to die on. <laughs> well, it's hey. a, it's not a good movie. It's just really weird. I mean, I, there's, I mean, so you much, you so gotta give Spider Man three some credit. Give Spider Man three some credit for swinging for the fences and also for giving us like the first real like superhero team up when he teamed up with you know Green Goblin. I give Spider Man three a ton of credit for one particular reason. That was Avi Arad, producer at large, flexing all of his comic book nitwit stupidity. Avi Arad is the okay. Avi Arad, the producer of the Spider-Man movies and the producer of everyone's favorite video game movie, Uncharted. Um, it is it is quickly it has slowly but surely become common knowledge that he knew absolutely nothing about Spider-Man. He was one of the heads of Toy Biz, who would literally see characters on the desk of the creator of Spider-Man the animated series and ask them, who is that? Oh, that's Morbius. Who's that? Oh, that's the Shocker. Oh, okay, we make toys of them. I see toy I see toy potential. Yeah. Just like Harry Potter. So because <laughs> Aviarad is the one who was like, no, we have to have Venom in the movie. But it's a Sandman movie. And we also are dealing with Harry. No, we have to have Venom. Put Venom in the movie, too. Put, you put can't too many, co- too many cooks in that pot. Yeah. yeah. Hey, hey, guys, remember? Venom was in this one, too. Yes. He was yeah, not from- part of the Sinister, St- Sinister Six. He's, what is, he's more, they're more like the Sinister Five-ish? He's a Sinister yeah. Derp. Yeah. That was- he's, he was, he was there for, like, the, like, Five minutes. You're gonna talk shit about any part of this movie. I think you could talk shit about that in that being such like a big like bait and switch. Because I I thought like 
uh, Venom Two I thought was, that was just be a, a shit up. movie, and and I was like, okay, even though this was like a shit movie, it's basically telling us it's going to tie in a No Way Home, so it makes it worth it, right? I skipped that movie because uh, it was awful. I watched Morbius, man, because Morbius was free. I watched that on Netflix, and damn, Morbin time don't make up for a lot. But um, Morbius I, I was at like, least I, unintentionally I, I, funny. I like Venom Two for his bad shittiness. I love it. Yeah, and but also you also fact. like one like stalk Tom Hardy and break into his house. So. <laughs> oh yeah, you got you got me there. <laughs> yeah, yeah there's, Tom there's Hardy this... was he he was um you know kind of crazy as uh I, I I really was looking forward that to that the dynamic between um his Eddie and Woody Harrelson's um Carnage, but. Fuck, man, what happened with that movie? I kind of, I'm kind of want, wanting to see like. I don't want to talk about like... Universe Carnage right now. <laughs> At all? Can we just? Can Let we me just... put it this way: uh, his uh, Woody Harrelson's wig in that one SNL skit is a lot better than than Venom too. His wig should have won the... an Oscar. Oh god! Have you seen the uh, that one uh, one skit of SNL? I have not. Okay, it's it's hilarious. I was Same I watched it multiple times. Okay. We need to talk about Moon Knight. Moon Knight is absolutely fantastic. Oh yeah. And yet critics didn't like it as much, which what? I don't understand. What? Why? Why? It was it was a little bit weird, um, but is is very enjoyable. I think it, I think it builds very well. I think also one thing that people I will kind of agree um, when it comes to like some of the, the negative parts about it is I didn't like all like the blackouts. Sometimes the blackout parts really were like really they, you kind you kind of want to see what the fucking end, especially at the end. Yeah, I get it. They're trying to like tease like other um, alters and all that, but. I thought that that that's something that kind of hurt it. I did like to see the other. I th- did like to see the whole uh, like pantheon aspect of it. Um, Scarlet Scarab was fucking badass. Oh, I know she was the best part. Yeah, definitely. I was like, uh, can can we see more of her, please? Uh, like, yeah, why is she she's immediately fun. better at everything the lady. than Moonlight than Moon? That was like, why Moonlight, is she so much better? Uh, the moment here, here's the funny thing. The moment I'm the moment as I'm watching the show and I'm like, "There's three personalities. Where's the third one?" And then you had that post credit. When do we get to the fireworks factory? <laughs> no, but dude, that fireworks factory at the end though, that fireworks factory is worth it, man. That was still one of my favorite Marvel post credits because I'm like, yes, he is a killer. We cannot forget that. Because Moon Knight is a crazy man. Nah, man. So who am I talking to? Steve? Yes. Mark? Jake? The answer is yes. When it comes to Moon okay. Knight. Okay. My goodness. To... Did, didn't the, like Moon Knight and Spider-Man have like some sort of like camarader- camaraderie going on? Until Moon Knight started ripping off people's faces. Hashtag Moon Knight core. Um, yeah. And also, there's that one. There's that one. Uh, 
one image on the internet. I'm not sure if it's edited or not. Like where it is. Where someone was asking, like, who whoever dated like Moon Knight? Not me, not me, a little bit. <laughs> That's for Moon Knight Core. Moon Knight Core is one of the greatest pages of all time. That it, is it, like it, some really good editing there. <laughs> Moon Knight Core is really just trolly Photoshop and it's beautiful. That is some good like some deep fake good good stuff. Yeah. And, by the way, can we talk about how good Ethan Hawk was in the show? Oh yeah. I didn't know it was Ethan Hawk. I was like, wait, that's the guy from Real Reality Bites. Dude, the moment they almost got me in the episode of the mental hospital. I'm like, I've read enough Moon Knight where I'm like, this could actually be true. That was that 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 fucked with you a little bit. Um, I I guess I guess it really it helped that you have somebody like Ethan Hawke who kind of he, he traditionally plays like the the good guy you know uh, moralistic leading man in this role that it really kind of screws with the uh, the gray areas. Yeah, and helps lend some credibility to when he makes you know Mark start to to doubt himself. Um, yeah. And another interesting thing about this show is, you know, because uh, Marvel doesn't exclusively have the the rights to to Hulk, this is really like the first time that they they start to get into a show or get into like a character that has like multiple personalities, and they start to deal with the the ramifications of that, and start to deal with you know the complexity of like is this like a, an entirely other person that you can consider so that was very interesting um we fortunately got to see this character depicted by oscar isaac who is you know just so hot right now yes and we call Yante. <laughs> so I, i'm what they call ethnically ambiguous possibly yeah. the greatest person online of all time he he gets to play. I mean, uh, let's see, like Oscar Isaac. He's also I'm surprised, honestly. Um, and maybe you know Ian's gonna like he's like two seconds away from uh, correcting me. But the the interesting thing is, you know, uh, Mark Spector's character is is Jewish. Yes. Yes, and so is uh, Oscar Isaac. Yeah. So and he's also part Egyptian. People don't realize that as well. I didn't. I thought he was just you know this. You know, straight up his So that's what I was about to say. Um, so I was like waiting for Ian to be like, because Ian always has this shit in his back pocket. He's got <laughs> this behind the scenes uh, know how. I was like, did did they did they skip that over or, or what's actually no? I I may have been correct. So Oscar Isaac himself is not um, Jewish, but I believe um, I believe that there is a part of his background that actually does come out of Egypt. Very specifically, though, the director of this. Um, the director of this, um, Muhammad Diab, uh, he was actually very controversial, and I actually really appreciate it because he was calling out so many movies, so many recent movies, including Wonder Woman 1984, on the extremely stereotypical yeah. um, um, uh, depictions of the Middle East and Egypt. <laughs> what the fuck happened there? Anyway, I, mean, it is I did find it, though. I did find something that says like, oh, there is some controversy about him because he's not Jewish. So it looks like not so much. Oh, I'm sad now. Well, I was wrong. I'm sorry, Internet. I thought you were gonna save it. Sorry, Sandra, what you're saying? Uh I didn't see anything about like him being all those things, but then again, 
maybe Wikipedia needs to update. I was actually incorrect, and oddly enough, as authentic as the show is, I think that's what threw me off because um, there was a um, that I was doing like a little like personal eBay store for like a lot of comic books and stuff that I was moving online at one point, and one of the people who worked at the UPS I'd gone through a couple times, he was actually Egyptian, and he hated the way that Egyptian Egypt is shown in a lot of American movies and TV shows. And I and I told him very orange and brown. Yeah, and I told him watch because he had watched a lot of Marvel stuff. He hadn't watched any shows. I said, watch Moon Knight. Get back to me. And he said, he said, this is perfect. This is great. He said he loved the way it was depicting actual, the fact that it's like, yes, we have pyramids, but we also are actually in the 21st century as well. And yeah, they only have favorite... like, like really rocking festivals and stuff. Yeah. And one of his favorite scenes was when they show the pyramids, but then they show like, here's modern life. Here's people actually doing shit in the real world and not um, what Wonder Woman 1984 showed where apparently Aladdin they're is just like in, the standard. They're stuck in like in the a bygone era, right? Yeah. And um, it was one of the things I actually really appreciate about the show. Yeah, not to mention that whole and that kind of like ties in with that whole bit towards the end where um, you know, Scarlet Scarab has that, that moment where you know a little girl is just like, hey, are you a Muslim superhero? She's like, yeah. yeah. It was just like a, a nice little moment of getting to see just that representation and get to see a little bit more uh, respect. Yeah. And it's a good thing because they had to address that because they're they're dealing with the, this pantheon, um, which was very neat to see. Hopefully we get to see more of it. There's just, I think that's the thing that also kind of like bugs people about phase four is it feels like there's so much content, but like that we're, we're setting up all of these characters and we just, we want to like fast forward and get to the, the, the game of this. And we want to get to see uh, these characters interact. And we're like, God damn it, man, we got to wait like five years for this shit. Here's the, here's, it is funny though, because you mentioned that moment in the show and then, before we start recording, uh, you were kind of hazing me on my Generation X wallpaper on my computer. Yeah. Um, people Man. don't realize that quite you that um, <laughs> the character M or uh, Monet Saint Croix that she I believe is the first Muslim superhero in Marvel. That's cool. I yeah. I don't actually know much about her. I just know that like I, I even in like the X Men comics as I'm doing like that um, like. Krakoa era, you know, total read when she pops up. I'm always curious. I think I even saw her pop up like in, um, uh, what do they call it? Um, shit, I'm blanking on it. What, 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 what team was she on? Oh, X Factor. X Factor. X Factor. Oh, yeah, X Factor made me mad because they, I mean, they kind of fixed it later, but they whitewashed the shit out of her character in those comics. I was like, what? I I was very curious when she popped up, and I was like, every time she pops up, like she's like a total badass. But I'm like, how come I've never really? I don't know much about her. You need to go. To okay. Go back. The cool thing is, like, the Generation X is actually a really good series. Um, I know Scott Lobdell is unfortunately a very problematic writer, but this is one of the things that he did very very well in his career. Like, it was a team that he created with Chris Piccolo, and anyone who reads comics has seen Chris Piccolo's artwork at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the b- bigger recent things he did was his run on Doctor Strange with Jason Aaron. And his artwork 
has just never not been fantastic. I mean, he started on Sandman to kind of give you an idea of the kind of work that he puts out. But um, recently, because Marvel has been releasing epic collections of the series, if you have Marvel Limited, they've actually started putting out more and more issues because before they were just sporadic issues. But um, this was the team that Monet first appeared in. And she's a black Muslim female who has super strength. She's insanely intelligent and she can fly. And she's gorgeous. And so for anyone who complained, complained about that and said, oh, my superhero comics back in the day, it's like, nah, that shit was there. You were just too dumb to notice it. Or there's too many. Yeah. I, I have no problem with calling uh, a lot of the a lot of the more unfortunate comic readers of my generation dumb because I I've lost all patience for a lot of them. Now I'm trying to find those whitewashed depictions. Oh well, if I you mean, look at the way we ever talk about whitewashing, think of like the uh, television televised uh, adaptation of Generation X with Jubilee. Oh yeah, where they made um, where they just made her white as shit. Second yeah, is the actress who played her was actually good. It's just the. It's just that it's, but I think, but it's also in the nineties. It's like, uh, not a great time for representation. Nope. At least on television. Yeah, which is funny because we were just talking about the comic, where it's like you have this extremely diverse scene in nineteen ninety four. That's why I just say, uh, yeah. at least in at least in television. Yep. But um. And the funny thing is, um, I've I found it so cool that because we, you and I both know uh, Sarah Gonzalez. Um, I don't know if you oh, do ceremony. Yeah, she has actually gone as a couple of different versions of um, M, which I've, I actually thought was really cool because the character that not enough people talk about in fandom in her fandoms. Well, that's neat. Yeah, <laughs> me too. But um, with that, did, did anyone else want to touch on anything else regarding Moon Knight before we move? On to uh, Doctor like, Strange and Multiverse Madness. I liked uh, the I like some of the like uh, some of those gods, like uh, that, that that little pigeon dude. I, I forgot like his name. And the oh, hippo. Yes. I like the hippo lady. Oh yes. Um, <laughs> it was also. I shouldn't say I, sh- I shouldn't say hippo lady. It makes me think of uh, <laughs> Rocko's Modern Life. Rocko's Modern Life. It, it was also really cool to see that um, we have these different depictions of the afterlife. We, you know, it, this is something that uh, people touched on when the show came out because you, you've clearly seen, um, you know, the the astral plane in um, in the Black Panther movies. You've seen um, even, you know, with what we're going to talk about next, Love and Thunder. Or sorry, when we get to it, unfortunately, Love and Thunder, we've seen, you know, uh, we've seen Valhalla, and now we see um, the, I think they call it the the Field of Reeds here. Yep. These are all existing, like, simultaneously. And you're after, like, buddies. Uh, yeah, they're just, like, going with it, and I thought that was very neat. Um, I just thought that was an, a neat little touch. Um and, and I, I appreciate the fact that they they touched on these different aspects of uh, a Moon Knight kind of existing as their own people there in the afterlife. I thought that was cool. I have a quick question because I realized looking at the, looking at the time so far, we are actually just coming up on two and a half hours. 
or oh. probably, and I wanted to ask, um, do you mind if we at this point if we stop at Moon Knight, and then and then actually later this week or this possibly the next Sunday, start at Doctor Strange. No, that's fine. Um, especially if we're going to include some of the other shows. Oh my goodness! That it's might eight, give me. It's almost eight thirty in Arizona. Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. Bye. So long as we aren't having to start on Love and Thunder, I think that works for everybody. Oh no! Do- uh. No, we're definitely going to start on Doctor Strange because <laughs> I realize we have we still have a lot yeah, of Doctor. Strange yeah, here. we need to like touch. We we talked about one fan service like movie. Now we have to talk about another fan service mo- uh, movie next time. I'm not going to say I lost my mind a little bit, but, you know. Ah, I understood that reference. Goddammit, Ian. Hey, someone had to reference the one at the end of that movie. What are you talking about? We are going to have... We got to have a Conflict of Interest podcast... And just talk about Avengers Age of Ultron sometime. Uh, I like Age of Ultron, all right? Age of Ultron got better because of the things that followed it. It it planted the seeds for a lot of things that followed it. You yep. can't deny that. Makes me appreciate makes me appreciate the little things. Yeah. That's fair. But um all right. with that, as we end the MCU phase four part one. I want to say thank you, everybody, for listening. And where can everyone find you? Where can everyone find um, Sandra, Michael, all of the peoples of the of the internet? Okay, so uh, you can find me on TikTok, where one of my videos got got 20 k views, whatever that means. Oh shit! And you're also, nice. what? Holy shit! Yes, you're I need some of that internet money. <laughs> Share us, share yes, us on your TikTok. Those theoretical what? dollars. Share us on your TikTok. Anyway, you uh, Sorry. Yes, you can find me on uh, TikTok at Sandra Soapbox, as well as Twitter, Tumblr, AO3, although don't go to AO3. You know, like what you find. And, uh, oh yeah, Instagram. I forgot about the one major thing. And I'll be at WonderCon on uh, just go on wondercon.com for the dates. I, I'm too lazy for that. What about you, Michael? Well, uh, I nuked my Twitter, as we've talked about before. So really, I'm only on Instagram at 4DucksPilotOfManSuit. And um, I don't know, if uh, I can't find a job soon, I might be on OnlyFans uh, showing my butthole. So we'll see how that oh, goes. Oh, you're like a Bart Simpson as a male stripper. It's gonna go down. Bang, bang, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, people can find me on Facebook and Instagram under Ian McIntosh, as I'm very lazy. Uh, I have also nuked my Twitter. Uh, it's the musk of it all, really. Um, and people, of course, can find Circuit 42 on Facebook, on Instagram, and you can listen to us on iTunes and Spotify. Uh, with that, uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to part one of the MCU Phase Four. And I yeah, don't know, this is our Phase One of our. This is the Phase One of our of our discussion. Phase One of our Phase Four discussion.
Nailed it. But uh, join us as we talk about next time as we talk about everyone's favorite Marvel movie. It's got screaming goats in it. And wasting everyone's time. Yes, I said it. More screaming goats. So with that, thank you for listening, everybody, and have a great night. Good night, everybody. Night, night.